Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. We are grateful for camp meeting, the opportunities it provides. I pray that you will bless our time now and that your Holy Spirit especially will be in charge of what we do, what we say, what we hear, and what we learn. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning is going to be very basic. I've got two basic classes, today and tomorrow, and then I'll have three advanced classes on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And the purpose of that is that I've been teaching this class for a couple, two, three years now, and I always have people that are new, people that are aspiring, uh, people that are, you know, interested in, in this, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, I don't mind teaching people who want to know and learn. Um, and uh, also those of you who are elders that have been newly appointed, uh, maybe a new, new ad, relatively new Adventist and uh, now being asked to serve as an elder. And so this is an opportunity to learn the basic duties. But in some cases, Jim, what was I supposed to have been doing when I was an elder, right? And so we're going to talk about that today. So I'm going to talk about some of the basics. I'm going to talk about a job description. I don't want it to be boring because uh, job descriptions can sometimes be boring. So first of all, I want to talk about the elders' call and election and qualifications for ministry. Uh, this is very basic to being an elder. Uh, you know, the one of the things that happens in nominating committees, and I, I hate to say this, but nominating committees um, are under the gun. Everybody's busy, right? When nominating committee meets, everybody's trying to think of when that first meeting is how quickly can we get this process over with? And how can we uh, do this in one session if possible? And in small churches, they sometimes are able to pull that off. They simply say, well, these people all take the same offices they had last year, and they, uh, they say, okay, go call all those people and bring us a report at the next meeting. And in some cases, they don't even schedule the next meeting. In more normal processes, the nominating committee meets together, and they start going through the offices, and they try to identify who would be willing to do that office. Not so many times are they asking what are the qualifications for that office and who should be in that office and who shouldn't be in that office. Because quite frankly, some people shouldn't be in certain offices. And um, other times, there's some people who should be in offices that are doing something else and in relationship to an elder as well. Would you pass a textbook down to him? And if you need to take notes, we have some notebook paper over there as well. So I... I want to really help us to understand that I don't like the idea of higher offices versus lower offices in the church uh, because I don't want anyone to think that their responsibility is not important before God. God has a body and the toe, my toe is just as important as my head at times. And, uh, and I need to make sure that I realize that I'm a tool for God, I want to be used by, uh, by Him. But we must also understand that the responsibility of an elder is a very serious responsibility. That we are called by God to um, carry that role and that responsibility here. And the elder's call, call is that God is the one who leads to that position. There are even times when we think about calling people to ministry 
And we find out that as we invite them into ministry and they get involved in ministry, that the truth of the matter is, and I'm talking about pastoral ministry, after a period of time, we realize and they realize they're in the wrong place. And that's actually what the first four years of ministry is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be evaluating whether or not a person is called to pastoral ministry. Well, and elders are also in responsibility of being called to the task of service and ministry. And elders who realize that their calling comes first from God will appreciate the importance and seriousness of their leadership responsibility. And I just realized that in all of this, I didn't even push the record button on this one. So, so uh, that's the first process, is to recognize the importance of this role. It's not a power position where, okay, I get to tell the church what to do. This is a responsibility that God has provided on uh, to you and a responsibility to do what He's asked you to do. And He is the one who guides you and teaches you what it is that He wants you to be doing in your life and in your service, in your ministry. You're elected by the congregation. And the reason you are elected by the congregation is because they are the ones who recognize the gifts that God has given you. I've seen people that I thought should have been elders when I was in Kalamazoo, Merv, and that, uh, and I recognized at that point that these people had those gifts. But when I approached them in relationship to be an elder or the nominating committee approached them, they did not see it. They did not feel it. They did not believe it. And it's interesting to me that 20 years later, those individuals are elders in that church now. And uh, that's, that's kind of the way God does work with us. He could have used them even back then if they had recognized that God was speaking through the church, speaking through the pastor, and helping them to understand that those gifts were there and that they could be used. The other times, there are times when we think we've got the gifts and the church doesn't recognize it. And you know what? That is a good time for us to realize we can just back off and let God have His timing. Because it's really God who's in charge, not us. When I have somebody who tells me that they, uh, that they should be a minister or they should be an elder and nobody sees it, that really begins to worry me. Because sometimes we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And let God take care of the work of uh, leading us into the position that He wants us to be in. Elders should not be just simply put in that position because of some standing they have in the community or because of some skill or training that they have. There are many professional people who would make good elders, but they are not committed Christians. They are not committed Seventh-day Adventists. And that reality is a challenge sometimes for people. And the church has to work within that reality. And the church becomes weaker when people are put into a point of leadership for a uh, responsibility God has not placed upon them. And we do it only because they've got money, they've got position, or they've got something else that we think is, uh, is community-recognized but not God-recognized. And these issues of leadership are a very foundational, important aspect of this 
responsibility. So if God has called you to this position and the church has recognized it, then the things that we list after this begin to help you to understand that you are carrying a major leadership responsibility. Um, an individual can be ordained as an elder. Jim, you were ordained as an elder, is that right? Bob, you were ordained as an elder. Your first name again. Lou, you are ordained as an elder, right? But if you, and when you are ordained as an elder, you are ordained for life, okay? But let me explain what life means. It's something like the biblical's Bible's definition of eternity, okay? When you die, that obviously is the end of your life. But in the case of being an elder, you are ordained and don't have to be ordained again but you don't automatically become an elder in a church that you transfer to. So if Bob leaves Wilson and goes someplace else, and he doesn't come in and say, well, I'm already an elder and I'm going to take over the church. Okay, so if he comes over to Brighton and joins your church and you're excited to have him, he's still got to be elected by the local church and put into that position, that responsibility there. So you have no authority, even in the church you were ordained in, unless the church elects you to that position. And if they choose to give you a year off or two years off, praise the Lord for the break, take it easy. No, keep being a soul winner and go on from there. All right. Um, there are some uh, elders uh, manuals here that I'm handing out. And uh, if you don't have one, there's one up here and there's some in a box up here as well. You, you guys are good? All right, excellent. All right, so we're appointed in every congregation because you're respected and you have to earn that respect, as Bob pointed out. And these are individuals that are giving leadership in prayer and uh, other issues and anointing the sick and many others uh, issues that we're going to be looking at here in our job description. If we look in the New Testament, we find that they carried a major leadership role. And the Bible defines the work of an elder as to what God has called them to do. They were to be overseers, they were to be shepherds, they were to be examples. And that was the New Testament uh, directive that uh, Paul gave to Timothy and explained to him what his responsibilities were. And uh, they were individuals that were to be not only respected, but able to speak well. Now, some people, some elders are elected to that position and feel very inadequate, but fail to remember that speaking ability can be learned. And, and even though you may feel very inadequate at it to start with, doesn't mean that God can't use you and that you shouldn't be an individual carrying that responsibility. I don't know, how many of you heard uh, Elder Boonster speak this weekend? Okay. Did you hear in one of his sermons how he told about his fear of speaking? And even today he says he's scared of speaking and so he takes his shoes off. Now, you've got to be here the whole sermon to, to get all of those pieces together. But uh, the same was true of me. When I started, in, in, uh, I knew I was going to be a minister, and one of the things I had to do was take a class in public speaking, a speech class in college. And I still remember my father coming up and getting me, because it was my freshman year, 
and he came to get me, pick me up at Pacific Union College, and we lived in Southern California. It's an eight-hour drive. And as we were driving back, it was, I think, Thanksgiving time. He was taking me back um, for the Thanksgiving break, or it was Christmas, and we were going back for the Christmas break. I can't remember which one of those it was. But as we talked, I said, no, I know it was Thanksgiving break, because I had to go back up to school after Thanksgiving, and I faced a 10-minute speech. And I said, I barely made it through a three-minute speech, and I've got to do a 10-minute speech. How in the world am I ever going to speak for 30 minutes if I'm going to be a minister? How is this going to happen? I have no idea what my dad said, but I do know one thing. You can't get me to sit down soon enough today, and, and that is because you can learn to speak. God can help you. Now, not everybody is cut out for speaking, and I understand that. God doesn't give that, that gift to everybody. But many times, we, even though we're not Dwight Nelson, we can still be a spokesperson for God. And we do what He gives us the opportunity to do, and do it to the best of our ability. God never asks us to do something better than our ability. And if he wants it to be better than our ability, he'll give us that ability. But if he's asked us to do that work, he will provide what we need to be able to accomplish that task. But most important of all for an elder is being consecrated in your life. There is nothing worse than an elder who has no commitment for Jesus. Honestly, you, you, to be an elder and not love Jesus is, is sad because he's your source of strength. He's your source of direction. He's your source of life. And you are seeking to import and plant into people's lives a strong spiritual life. If you don't have one yourself, if you're not a consecrated individual, you're not going to be able to provide spiritual leadership for that church. And that's why a church should recognize an individual through experience that they can see that an individual is a spiritual leader for that church and for that congregation just by watching them and seeing what God does in their lives. And it always, to me, is a dangerous thing when people either transfer in or if people are placed in a position too soon, too quickly and into that responsibility. The general oversight of the church is the responsibility of the elders in the church. Those consecrated spiritual leaders must recognize that the future of that church is not the pastor's responsibility only. It is the responsibility of the individuals that have been appointed as elders. They need to be keeping a watchful eye over the activity and the departments of the church. The church handbook and the church manual both help us to understand that the responsibility of the elders is to be sure that the church is functioning and accomplishing the spiritual work that God has given that church to do. If you have a department in your church that is not fulfilling its spiritual responsibility, it is the responsibility of the elders to address that problem. Are you with me? If you have a Pathfinder department, and that Pathfinder department is not only having its regular Pathfinder meetings, but is taking the kids out to the movies once a week as well, 
you have a spiritual problem in your church and in your department, and they shouldn't be doing that, okay? Now, I don't want to get into the movie discussion and all that kind of thing, but that's not the spiritual activity that that department was called upon to do. But I'm also going to tell you that you should also look at that department and ask yourself, not only are they doing their regular Pathfinder activities, but are spiritual activities actually taking place in that, that department? For example, are those children, those young people in that Pathfinder program, being made into disciples? Are they being given opportunity to win souls, to give Bible studies, to, to pass out literature, to do a number of different activities that young people are very good at doing and will do? And are they being uh, participating in soul winning activities in that church? If they are not, it is your responsibility as an elder to recognize that the activities of those departments and the direction that they're going is your responsibility and it's your task to carry out and leading that way. You should be involved in the planning, the staffing, the training, and the guiding of the entire church program. That doesn't mean you run everything. And every church uh, is different sized, different personalities. You have different number of elders in your churches. You have all of those kinds of situations. And you need to use the resources that you have. Now, none of you are here and told me that you're from the Pioneer Memorial Church. If you were the Pioneer Memorial Church, I don't know, they've got like 60 elders. All right, but they've got 3,000 members. And the way they function is a little different than the way the Cicero Church is going to function, or the way Brighton is going to function, or the way New Haven is going to function because those churches are typically smaller in size. So that means that you may have two or three, maybe four or five elders typically in your church. And those individuals are going to spread that responsibility out as the best they can. In the Lansing Church, the pastor there, um, Elder Ringstaff, he's not the pastor now, but the previous pastor, uh, worked with his church and made sure that all his elders were overseeing one or more departments in that local church. Now, I'm just picking on that because I, he's one of the first pastors I've seen really articulate that uh, in, in detail and carry it out in a very specific way. And as he carried that responsibility out, those elders, one was overseeing the Pathfinders, one was overseeing the Sabbath school department, one of them is overseeing the community services work, one is overseeing the, the personal ministries work. And that doesn't mean the pastor then just went home and slept in every morning and, uh, and you know, managed to get to board meeting once a month and just got to see the church going. No, because they were all working together to make sure that all those pieces were humming together, were singing the same song together, moving in the same direction together because they all had a plan together and the pastor was able to oversee those things and keep his finger on the pulse of everything that was happening in that church. That is the purpose of the elders and the leadership role of the elders in the church. Now, I want to warn you if this is the first time you've been to a class like this about being an elder, you're going to leave here in a few minutes and you're going to say, wait a minute, I never signed up for that job. The job I signed up for was giving the prayer on Sabbath morning on the platform. 
that's what I signed up for. No, that isn't what you signed up for. That's what you thought you signed up for. All right? Or you kind of knew that it might be the other way, but you never seen anybody do it, so you knew it would never happen. The real issue is not what our people are expecting of you. The real question is what is God expecting of you? And what does God need you to do to be able to move God's work? Our churches are only going to move because you help them move. Your church will move because you are providing the leadership role and are going to help that church move. Along with, uh, I'm continuing on the theme of general oversight, uh, demonstrating the skills in worship leadership. Now that's what you thought you signed up for. That is one of your roles and one of your responsibilities. The worship service and leading out on the worship service on Sabbath morning is the responsibility of the elders of the church. And in most of our churches in Michigan, they are being pastored by churches, I mean by pastors who have more than one church. Am I right? And that's an ongoing challenge that, uh, that you face and we all face. And it would be ideal if one pastor, one church. I'm not sure that's ideal. I really not. I, I talked to some church members last night in a, an elders meeting. And we were talking about the fact they'd been without a pastor for nine months. And those elders in that, those two churches both said they have grown the most when they didn't have a pastor. Because they are forced into aspects of responsibility and leadership and prayer and, and accomplishing a work that they tended to sit back and let the pastor do and God wants them to be involved in that role. Worship, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but that's, the ba that's a basic role, and that's a very important role in leading out. At the pastor's request, they could serve as the chair of the board. The head elder could serve as the chair of the board and also lead out in business meetings. You should never call if you're the head. How many of you are head elders? Any head elders here? Okay, there's one back there. You should never call a board meeting without the permission of the pastor. Never. Because I've seen that happen, and it usually happens in a subversive way. And it's also unfair. It may have nothing to do with something you're upset with a pastor about or anything like that. It may have nothing to do with that. But it also is very poor communication. You are not the pastor of the church. The pastor is the pastor of the church. The conference did not appoint you as the pastor of the church. Then don't try to be the pastor of the church, okay? Let the responsibility fall upon the pastor. But if there is a need for a board meeting, then make sure the pastor is involved in that process. But if the meeting needs to happen and the pastor can't be there, he can defer that authority to the head elder and even to a business meeting if necessary. But hopefully neither that board meeting or that business meeting are accomplishing some kind of a work that is dramatic in the life of that church. It shouldn't be a time of discipline uh, uh, that is being addressed or any of those kinds of things. I think we're all clear on that, right? Elders should be committed to outreach and to have a clear vision of the church's mission. I'm going to read that again. Actually, I want you to read that with me. Would you please? Elders should be committed to outreach and have a clear vision of the church's mission. The church manual makes it clear that the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the responsibility of the local church board. 
and the elders are the key leaders of the church. The work of reaching souls is your primary task, is actually your only reason for existence. Right? Did the Lord just need another building on this planet? Did he need a group of people to come and have potlucks once a week? Jesus didn't say, go out and and form a potluck every week, did he? He said that we need to go out into all the world and take the message of the gospel and baptize. That is our responsibility. If your church is not doing that, then you're not doing your job. Because that is your task. All the other things that may seem to be important, even the worship, and worship is important, so I don't want to under underestimate that. But the truth is, this is your reason for existence. And your church needs to be doing that. And you need to be doing that with your church. Nurture is a very important part of what a church does. Elders are not only the overseers, but they are also the shepherds. You're not only trying to keep the congregation uh, or the uh, the organization functioning, but you're also caring about the people who make up the organization, right? You are the shepherds, the ones who are leading the church in, in, in its own personal spiritual growth, and the church is having an opportunity to develop. You're also helping to prepare new members for baptism. How many of you have ever been involved in the prop, prop, in the process of preparing some for baptism? Okay? Excellent, all right? And that's something you want to be involved with. You want to learn how to do it well. You want to understand all the aspects of that and how to clear a person for baptism. Ask the pastor to help you with that process. And the pastor should help you with that process. And you should be willing to do that work. You should be providing the special love and nurture that new members need. In the Michigan Conference, we're placing a lot of emphasis on the development of new members into disciples. We have manuals specifically for that purpose. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, see me and I will help to direct you in regard to that aspect. You should all have a discipleship handbook. How many of you have a discipleship handbook? Ooh, I'm encouraged. All right. We even give people over the borders, you know, some, something like that as well, if they want to take them back. Um, see me afterwards, and I'll uh, work at uh, being able to do that. By the way, I want you to do something for me. Would you put your name, address, and email address? Jim, would you mind starting this for me? And uh, you can take my pen. I want it back, though. Just put your name, and put it just write uh, name on the top, N-A-M-E, address, and email. Okay, I'd appreciate that. Um, that would help. If you would just add that in there, that would be great. I'd, I'd like to know that. So if we uh, can have that, I want that to go all the way around here before you all get away. That way, if I have something I can send to you or you need to get or whatever, I can provide it for you. New members need to be led into a discipleship experience and to be able to make firm friendships in the church. That's part of the nurture work that you are doing, that you're seeking to accomplish within those uh, new members' lives. And many times people leave not because of doctrinal issues, it's because they don't have any friendships. 
And I, uh, I heard a testimony here just recently of, uh, of a, a, a lady who said, you know, I went to church and I stood up there after potluck, I mean, should say after church, and I was hoping someone would invite me to church, and nobody did for years. And me and my daughter kept coming anyway. You know, that's, to me, a sad experience. Anyway, I've got to keep moving here because I've got to get some content in, in the time that we are meeting together here today. Small churches. Let's talk about small churches for a moment. Big churches, small churches. And by the way, small churches, don't think that big churches have it easy. I found when I went from small churches as a pastor to a large church like Kalamazoo, I found that I just had more challenges than I had before. And I, even though I thought, well, I'll have all these people in the church now and everybody will want to work. You know what? I still had the same problem. <clears throat> there were still human beings in that church. The exception was Merv, okay? <laughs> but um, other than that, we all had members who uh, were people, had busy careers, and all of those kinds of situations. So in small churches, the elders need to take responsibility for almost all the detailed administration of the church. And I know that you think it's the pastor's responsibility for taking care of all that administration. If the pastor is taking care of all that administration stuff, he can't concentrate on the things he should be concentrating on, which is leading that church in its soul winning experience, helping finding the souls who need to come to the church and caring for the other aspects that need to be done. And if it's going to be all on the pastor, then that's what the pastor is going to spend their time doing. It's share the load in the small churches. Plan to preach often. If your pastor has three churches, it's not possible for that pastor to be there every single Sabbath. Well, there are a couple of exceptions where pastors I know have done that. I'm not going to be here to debate the, the benefit or the, or the lack of benefit of that right at the moment. But the truth is most pastors who have multiple churches will share that preaching responsibility with the elders. Plan to lead out in the worship service, including the communion if you're the head elder. Call and chair the church board or business meeting in the pastor's absence with the pastor's permission. I've said it again, just to make sure that you're clear on that. Organize and participate in the visitation of members. Do what? Wait a minute. I thought that was the pastor's responsibility. Well, yes, it is. Pastor's responsibility to visit. Pastor's responsibility to participate in the organization. But the elders are also responsible for that task. The nurturing of the congregation includes visiting the members and being there to understand you don't know what a person needs unless you meet with them and talk to them. Okay, that's another thing we'll come back to later. Oversee the evangelistic plans for the church. That doesn't mean do them necessarily. It means oversee them and guide in that process and be supportive of that process. Train the congregation in stewardship. You as elders should know people and your church and be training them in, your, in their church to be faithful in stewardship. Your church cannot function without good stewardship, and stewardship's not just money. Stewardship is time, stewardship is talent, stewardship is involving all of those things. But the financial support of a local church is critical, and you know that you can't function without it. You should also be providing general oversight to the church finances. The needs of your local church need to be met financially. And if your church is struggling, 
I'll tell you a story. It's long enough ago that I think I'm safe. Um, no, well, I won't tell you exactly where it was. I just decided I'm videotaping this. I forgot that part of it, so I won't tell you that part of it. But I pastored a church, and in that church, I worked with the elders, and we were talking about the finances of the church. And I told them, I explained some of the things about how tithe is used and how offerings are used. And one of the elders who grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist home, whose father had been an elder in the church for many years, and this individual had been an elder himself for many years, said, you mean the church tithe does not pay for the electric bill in the church? I like fell out of my chair. That just tells me that we all have to learn, right? And there hasn't been training going on. And even the elders hadn't been training in that church and doing what needed to be done. In larger churches, you work in teams. You work in a, in a stronger organization because if you're not highly organized in that, the task won't get done. Every church should have a board of elders, large or small, but certainly larger churches tend to have a what they call a board of elders and have separate board of elders meetings. But I encourage pastors, even with small churches, if you've got three churches, get those elders together periodically and meet as elders, all three churches in the same place at the same time and planning what you're doing. And even individually, do the same thing as well. Elders are members of the church board. Elders should attend the church board. Elders should be providing leadership by being present at the church board. So these are some of the basic functions of being an elder. I haven't exhausted everything, but these are some of the basics there. Uh, everybody with me still so far? All right, I want to shift into the church and its organization. As we now look at this, how is the church organized? How does the church function? I'm sorry, your first name again was? Thomas, you've been a new relatively new member. So you've not, have you been a churchgoer all your life? Okay, so for you coming into a church environment, Seventh-day Adventist Church in particular, you're learning how this church functions, learning how this church is organized. And as I've already pointed out, some people grow up in the church and they really don't pay attention to it until uh, and, and its organization until they become a leader and have that responsibility. So I want to talk a little bit about that right now. The church is God's idea. Does that come as a surprise? God is the one who designed the church, organized the church, and told us that the church was necessary. Uh, everywhere that God is at work, there is organization. Now, when I first walked in here, it was only Bob. I said, Bob, are you the only one coming to the class today? He said, we're two or three are gathered together. All right, well, I did the math. He was here and I was here. That made two. But still, even with two, there's got to be some organization, doesn't there? So unless you're by yourself, there's got to be some way of functioning. People who want to be part of God's plan, but not part of an organization, don't understand how God works. Can you imagine God having millions and millions and millions of angels and having no organization? No, because that just doesn't exist that way. He's the one who put together an organization, and he has a plan that he wants to fulfill. And that plan on planet Earth is the saving of souls for his kingdom. 
And that's what this organization is here for. If we look a little bit at structure, God started with the family and the patriarchal system, and he organized the church uh, uh, in that particular framework. But as the family expanded and it got larger, it became more of a church organization and a nation, actually. And it became God's people. And as the church then spread out even farther, as the church became more than just a nation and literally spread to all of the world, it becomes that church that is represented by separate places. We can have people come from Cicero, Indiana and still be part of the Seventh-day Adventist church family. We can have people come from Rwanda and still be part of this church family. This is the way God designed this organization. The Bible uses many images to represent His church. His church is a group of Christian people, people with similar beliefs working together. We're privileged to be in the United States where we can come together in a church on Sabbath morning and nobody has a legal right to come and start disrupting our services and say, well, you can't kick me out of here because I, I have the right of free speech. Yes, but we also have the right of free association. And if you want to be a Baptist, with all due respect, go to a Baptist church. But you don't have the right to come into my Seventh-day Adventist church and tell me that, you that I have to behave like a Baptist or believe like a Baptist and, uh, and allow you to be here. It's a group of Christian believers called out from the world, learning to love God and each other. It's a living organism. It's a growing organism. At least it should be. It is not a museum. I like that thought. I didn't come up with that. Somebody else did. But it's not a museum. A church is a group of Christians reaching out to the world, inviting others in. We many times say, well, just let people come to us. You know, a lot of people don't come to us because they they're afraid of us. Uh, I recently heard a story out of the uh, Strong Tower radio experience. One lady was convicted from the messages she was hearing on the radio that the messages uh, that the Bible teaches and the Seventh-day Adventist Church teaches are, are truly from God. She got in a car. She went to the nearest Seventh-day Adventist church. She pulled into the parking lot, didn't see anybody that she knew, and was afraid to walk in the church. She drove back out. She did that for like four Sabbaths in a row until finally she saw somebody she thought she recognized and went up to the church, realized it wasn't who she thought it was, and then still walked into the church and now has become an active member in that church. We need to realize that we as individuals... I must help people to get acquainted with the church and, and be welcoming. Sometimes we have to go find them. The shepherd goes and finds the sheep. And you and I have to be those kinds of people that are doing that as well. And number four, a church is a place for the healing, the hurts of life. You've heard the term that a church is a hospital for sinners. It's not a museum for saints. It's not a place just for the saints to hang out and nobody gets to come to. We are all sinners and we all need to be there. And the Spirit of God needs to be leading us and leading us closer and closer to God. Every church member should be 
in a position to receive the Holy Spirit, receiving the spiritual gifts that God is giving, and that He is using uh, us in soul-winning ministry. As elders, we're nurturing that in every church member. How many church members? Every single church member. It's also the place of worship. It is the place where God, God the Father and His people come to gather together as His children and to worship Him. So it's not only a mission outreach station, just as we had missions uh, and still have missions going out to all the world and mission station locations. We have hospitals all over the world. The church is a hospital, it's a mission station, and it's the house of God where people can meet together. You have the Israel model of the theocratic nation. You have Paul's model of the body. You have Jesus' model of the ecclesia. All of these are appropriate models for the church. God is a, theo is a theocracy. He does get to tell us what to do. But in our current structure, God does not come down in the Urim and the Thummim and in a pillar of fire and, and, or in a cloud to lead us. He does that through His Word and through His organization. He works through the body. He has a church that Jesus set up for that purpose. We have a challenge in this world today, and that is to go to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Our structure involves a global organization. It is multicultural. It is multinational. You don't walk into Seventh-day Adventist churches um, as we had, and I'm not saying the past was good and the, and the, or the past was bad and the, good, the present is good. I'm, I just want to say it's a good, what is a good thing is that our churches are becoming more reflective of society this way. We are multinational. We are multicultural. And I'm talking about accepting all the sins of the world and importing them into our church. That's not what I mean. I mean our churches are showing the blend that God has made in this world, and it's a wonderful thing that we can all work together. We're multinational. We have multiple languages. We have multiple races. We have all of these working together and, and ministering together. We are told to go to all nations, tribe, language, and people, and we shouldn't be surprised when all nations, tri tribes, languages, and people wind up in the same building at the same time. Any of you get to GC? Oh, do you see it on TV, maybe, or on, online? What a fantastic experience. 70,000 people meeting in the same building. So many of them didn't even speak my language. They didn't look like me. Praise the Lord for that part. But we were all children of God working together. So we have a major challenge in accomplishing this work, and the organization of God's resources is blended together for that purpose. God wants us to delegate authority. He wants us to share that authority. He wants us to be effective in our work by being flexible, by evaluating what we do, and also being in control of what takes place in our church, not just allowing anything and everything to take place. We must meet the challenge of, of the church through organization and structure. God has set the example by being organized Himself, and He's taught us that we need to be the same way. We can't just let the church go on um, floundering. If the church is floundering, don't blame the pastor. Blame yourself. And then go to Jesus and say, Lord, how do I fix this? Okay? If it's going well, praise the Lord. 
Don't take the credit. Praise the Lord. Give the Lord the credit. He gave you the skills to help to do that and keep it moving ahead. Ellen White says that elders are to support the gospel ministry and the church is to support the gospel ministry. The church is to carry on the work of preaching in new fields. The church is to protect both churches and the ministry from unworthy members. We had challenges in the early Adventist church that led them finally to realize the fact they needed to organize. And they realized that as the church grew, they just couldn't avoid organizing. They resisted it for a long time. And they realized they couldn't continue to resist it. And then they realized, well, wait a minute, God's organized. So we need to be as well. Ellen White uh, indicates that the purpose of the church also is to protect the churches, as I indicated. Also, the church organization helps to uh, control the property. Your church, in spite of the fact that you put a lot of time and money into that church, is not your church. You hear what I said? It's the conference's church, right? And the conference owns that church because if you own the church and you got mad at the church, you could go home with your church. And we've actually seen that happen. And what happens then, the members who put time and effort and money into it as well, they lose everything and you think you've gone home with what you have and it just doesn't work that way. So the church building is owned by the conference. If that church for some reason needs to dissolve, that building is still kept by that church, by the conference, and the conference can sell it. And when we do that, we do that from time to time, it has to happen, that local church building still, the money remains in the conference for a period of time to wait and see if that church won't revive in that community and be able to see. This keeps stability and continuity in the, in the church, in the, in the working there. This is Ellen White also says the organization is to publish the truth through the printing press and accomplish that work. We're not a papal system. We're not an Episcopal system. We're not a congregational system. We are a representative system. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today, but just to let you know, there are different ways of organizing. And I know that some people would like to try to say that the church has become Babylon and now we have a pope. I'm sorry, we're neither. Okay, and Ellen White made that clear that we are not that. Um, there are local organizations. You all are part of that local organization. There's the local field, and you are participating in this event because the local field has made that possible in the, in the uh, local conference is allowed that to happen. The union is the next level, and that union in, in Michigan, we are part of the Lake Union, right? The Lake Union has five conferences in it, four states, and in a conference that spreads over all those uh, various states. We have Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Michigan together with the Lake Region that makes up the Lake Union Conference. And they just a few weeks ago had their um, every five-year constituency meeting and what they call a quintennial, a quinquennium. We have unions and then we have divisions. After the divisions, the divisions make up the general conference. And technically, there are, there's 
two separations here. You have the 13 divisions that we have, and then you have the general conference, which helps to keep those divisions organized and forms that. The North American division has a president. The general conference has a president, and that is the structure by which we work. How many of you already knew all that information? You recognize that. So that's why I go over it, because some of you might find that helpful to keep that part of it. But the way we function uh, is that our major responsibility is with here, uh, within the Michigan Conference, we work together. Um, I'm going to mention delegation very quickly. The purpose of delegation is so that we share the load and spread the work, right? We can't do it all ourselves. If you're doing it all yourself, you shouldn't be doing it all yourself. We need to follow the model that God gave us in Moses uh, that came from Jethro, and Jesus himself also spread the work out. He delegated it through his disciples and into the 70 men and uh, accomplished that work, and elder is used for that particular purpose in accomplishing that work. Early church officers, there were the apostles who were ordained for that particular ministry, and they cared for the overall teaching and planning and administration of the, of the church. We don't have that term today in the church. We use elders and work within that framework, and I'm not going to get into all of that at the moment. But in the New Testament, the next level were the elders, who were also ordained to that position. They were the lay persons. They exercised their spiritual gifts. They provided ministry and gave strength to the local church. Then came the deacons, and I have a class I teach for deacons and deaconesses that will take place this afternoon. Again, very underestimated is the responsibility of the deacon and deaconess. We have them taking up the offering on Sabbath morning and mowing the lawn. That's basically a responsibility. You know what? They did not take, they might have taken up the offering in the New Testament, but they didn't mow the lawn. Okay? And you say, well, there were no lawns to mow. Okay. But the fact of the matter is, there were things like that that were not as important. And the things you see on the screen, those were the duties of the deacons and deaconesses. And the Bible hasn't said that when you get to the modern age, you don't need that anymore. As a matter of fact, the truth of the matter is we need them more than ever. That's why we need active elders, we need active deacons and deaconesses, we need active people in our church working together. In the work and organization of the church, if the pastor has not been provided by the conference, the office of elder ranks as the highest and the most important. So says the church manual, or at least the one previous to this one says that. I'll have to look and see if the newest one that just came out a couple weeks ago does say that exactly that way. There are approximately 25,000 ministers in uh, 19 million now, almost 20 million members in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, approximately 130,000 congregations. If we weren't organized, we'd be in trouble, and God's work would not be able to function. I'm going to spend uh, in the few moments that we have left, I've got about five or six minutes left, and I want to take you through some specific areas of, uh, of the work of an elder, and one of those has to do with the planning in the church. I do not want you to underestimate the task of planning. Church leaders are so busy themselves with their own personal duties, and I get all that, I understand that, and I don't have any problem understanding that. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes <clears throat> we need to reevaluate what we are doing in our lives. We have to say, am I doing something that I could actually set aside and not actually 
hurt my life actually help my life and at the same time help God's work? Is there something that I could do? If I'm spending one night a week helping the church, could I spend two or three? I'm not talking about burning out. Be reasonable. Be responsible. Some of you you travel for work. Some of you do all those kinds of things. I understand that. You have to do what you can do. But when you take on the responsibility of being an elder, realize that that doesn't just leave because you have another job. And if that work is going to get done, it's going to get done because you're providing that. The church is a sleeping giant waiting to move, and it needs you to wake it up. And that means getting together with your fellow elders and your pastor and planning for your local church or your church district uh, for three or four, pa- uh, two or three churches in most cases. The Bible plan is that everybody should be doing something. You should be looking at your church and saying, what can we get that dear saint to do? She doesn't, she can hardly walk, but what can she do for Jesus? What is that saint over there uh, doing for Jesus? They've got a car, they've got time, they're doing that, but all they do is come to church on Sabbath morning. What can they be doing to advance the work? You should be planning those things out. You should recognize the spiritual gift aspect of ministry. And by the way, spiritual gifts should not be an excuse for people not to do certain things in their work because they don't have a spiritual gift. Giving a Bible study, um, and, and giving a Bible study may be a gift, but being a soul winner is not a gift. Jesus didn't say, if I've given you the gift of leading somebody to Jesus and being a fisher of men, go ahead and do it. Otherwise, the rest of you are off the hook. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus called all of us to be disciples for him and winning souls. We should be helping all of them along the way. This purpose of spiritual gifts is to recognize that we are a body and that God has given us all skills to build a stronger church, all for the purpose of leading the church to win souls for him. The diversity of the church should be uh, recognized and then built upon, and we do that through our planning. How can we get our members to do what we want them to do? That's not the question that we should be asking. The question is, how can we help our members fulfill their own needs for involvement, commitment, and successful ministry in the church? Even if the members don't realize they have that need, they have it. And you're a leader in the church. You're a spiritual leader in the church. Therefore, you need to recognize that even if they don't recognize it, you need to help them recognize it. That makes sense? So as you plan, that's part of what you need to be doing. You want them to identify those gifts and how they can use the skills and talents that God has given them for advancing the work. The functions of the church leadership are to train members to use their gifts, to conduct regular training sessions in your church. You should be having regular training in various aspects of soul winning and utilizing people's gifts and take advantage of conference leadership training events like this one, for example. I'm talking to the choir because you're here, but you need to go back and help others as well develop those skills and equip them to use those those gifts. Every church, Ellen White says, should be a training school for Christian workers. Forget the screen. We should be training every member to be involved in soul winning. Plan annually. We even encourage it and even require it. Every church is expected, every pastor is expected to lead his church in a planning experience. Every single church, once a year in the Michigan Conference, 
is expected to go through a master plan of evangelism planning process. So how many of you knew that? I see the demands are not up. That scares me. You now all know it. All right, take it back to Indiana. <laughs> the reason for that is every church should plan. Every church should know what's going on. A church should be working together for that purpose. Um, there should be these five aspects. One, evaluation is something that you should be doing. You should be, I'm going to put them all on the screen here. You should be doing evangelism, nurture. You should be focusing on the youth. You should be caring about the facilities. What are your plans for your facilities? Do you need to expand? You should be talking about various campaigns and opportunities. You should be working on your schedule of outreach events and all of those kinds of things. All those things that need to be involved in a planning process are the kinds of things that need to be taking place. And I told you that the Michigan Conference has a uh, organizational structure and a planning process for you to be involved with. If you are aware of it, great. If you're not, go to your pastor, because I know your pastor knows about that process. And if your pastor's not doing it, I'm standing in front of the television camera, and I'm telling you, as elders of the church, go to your pastor and say, Pastor, I know that you know about the planning process, and I want to ask you please to do it for my church, because we need it in order to be able to function. So today I've given you some basic elements of being an elder. Don't go home overwhelmed. Don't go back to your campsite overwhelmed. Go back if you find that this isn't something that's happening for you. Challenged, but not overwhelmed. Realizing that God will help you to take one step at a time to bring about the results that God is seeking to bring about in your church. Tomorrow we'll continue on from here and pick up some of the specific aspects and the duties of uh, working as an elder. I know one of the things I want to talk a little bit about is visitation, some of those aspects, and so we'll pick up some of those things and hopefully between now and tomorrow I'll figure out how to solve this little problem I'm dealing with. Thank you for your patience with it all. Let's have a prayer together. Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that you will be with us today. We have many other things to learn and opportunities to worship. We pray that your Holy Spirit will go with us. Thank you for these leaders that are here today, their desire to serve you and to be faithful for you. I pray that what they've learned today will help their churches to be stronger mission stations for you, reaching people with the gospel message and the three angels' messages of your soon return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.